Monsters is a podcast about the worst human beings on the planet. The episodes of this podcast deal with murder, dismemberment, torture, rape, child abuse, and mental illness. Please turn back while you still can. Listener discretion advised. On February 20th, 2016, Morgan Lawrence came home from work to an empty house and a message from her husband, Ryan. He had taken their 21-month-old daughter, Maddox, and disappeared. He took her out to a rural area where he crushed her head with a baseball bat and set her body on fire before putting her body in a bag and threw it into Onondaga Creek. This is Monsters. Come back and find out that he's deceased. Tapping me on the head, telling me I'm cheating, telling me I'm, you know, let me see your phone. Just kill her. I think Diego Campioni is totally in the wrong, and I hope he burns in hell for all his sins. Hell's not a very fun place. I only have two hands. I'm that four-hand girl. I'm two hands. And I don't know. It's just get escalated and escalated. Filicide murders often compared with mental illness. Andrea Yates suffered from postpartum depression and had her conviction overturned in 2006 due to it. Her sentence of life in prison was changed to an order to be admitted to a psychiatric hospital. In 2004, Dina Schlosser killed her 11-month-old daughter because she believed God had told her to cut off the baby's arms. So she did. In the sixth episode of this podcast, we talk about Elaine Campioni, who, even though her main motivation for killing her children was spousal revenge, she suffered from depression and paranoia. She had been admitted to psychiatric hospitals prior to the death of her daughters. A 1998 study from the William S. Hall Psychiatric Institute and the University of South Carolina School of Medicine showed that 40% of mothers who committed filicide had been diagnosed with psychotic or paranoid disorders and that 25% had major depression at the time of the offense. In a 2005 study by the Journal of the American Academy of Psychiatry and the Law, 30% of fathers who had committed filicide presented with psychosis and 52% had major depressive disorders. Mothers and fathers attempt suicide after committing filicide at about the same rate, but fathers are more likely to be successful. Committing filicide due to mental illness is considered acutely psychotic filicide. One of the other scenarios that is put in this category is when a parent kills a child for no reason. This is the first case that I've read about where there was no reason given for the murder. There are situations where a parent kills their kids and then themselves and we don't know what the reason was because the parent is dead. Ryan Lawrence murdered his daughter and never had a real reason for doing so. He claimed it was a madness inside of him, but multiple psychiatrists found him sane and fully aware of what he was doing and that it was wrong. He claimed several other reasons. He was trying to save his family. He wanted to kill himself but didn't want his daughter to grow up without a father. But none of them added up when all of the evidence was compared and after detectives and psychiatrists talked to him. His stories never matched and reasons never made sense. When police issued an Amber Alert the morning of February 21, 2016, they were hoping they would be able to track down the father of baby Maddox and get her back to her mother, safe and sound. They eventually would locate her father, Ryan Lawrence, but he did not have Maddox with him, and when they finally found her, it would destroy her family's lives forever. 
Ryan Lawrence met Morgan while they were working at a local mall. Both had graduated high school, and though Lawrence had taken some classes at the community college, neither of them had a real direction and were just enjoying being young. They both loved the outdoors and would regularly go hiking and camping, where Morgan would practice her nature photography. While they were dating, Morgan became pregnant, so the couple got married and rented a small house in Syracuse. When Maddox was born, the young parents continued working multiple low-wage jobs to support their family. People who knew them said that the couple were inseparable and that Ryan Lawrence was a loving, doting father. Not long before Maddox turned one, Ryan and Morgan noticed that one of her eyes was getting darker. Tests revealed that the baby girl had a rare cancerous tumor in her eye called retinoblastoma. The family spent months traveling to New York City, where Maddox would undergo chemotherapy sessions that could last up to six hours. Halfway through the treatment, the chemotherapy was working, and her condition was believed to be a success, but it was expensive. Not only that, but the time commitment made it hard to make enough money to pay the bills. A relative set up a GoFundMe page where they raised about $9,000 to help pay for the treatment, and the story was making the rounds on social media. The world loved baby Maddox, and people from all over were rooting for the little girl to make it through her treatment and beat cancer. According to District Attorney William Fitzpatrick, Lawrence's confession with police alluded to the fact that jealousy over the amount of tension she received may have been a factor in why he killed his daughter. In court, Lawrence denied that jealousy played any role in the crime, but all that does is leave more questions. When asked why he did it, he couldn't provide any real reason beyond feeling too much pressure. Unfortunately, the audio from court proceedings includes someone taking pictures which continually interrupts the audio. I was never jealous of my daughter. Both our families know I love Maddox. If anything, I only wanted more for her. Max was always at the top of my list and is constantly, to this day, the focal point of my thoughts and actions since she first came into my life. I'll never overcome this feeling of loss but I will spend the rest of my life trying to figure out how I got to such a dark, irrational state. She was my life's purpose, and making her happy was my job. Such strong feelings of love, however, brought equally strong feelings of fear and uncertainty when it came to my responsibility for her happiness. Although I blame no one else for my acts, as the pressures to save, to give her the perfect life built up, I also struggled against relentless waves of negative emotions every day, bearing witness to the pain and sadness in many of my wife and daughter's interactions. Yet no reason and no psychological diagnosis seemed plausible to me to have made me commit this act against my very nature, taking the one thing I love most. It was revealed by Fitzpatrick in an interview after the sentencing hearing that Lawrence did a dry run of the crime the day before he actually killed Maddox. He, you, you've mentioned that he did a dry run on this. What do you yes. know about that? Well, that he, he, did, he, he did everything other than physically striking Maddox. Meaning so driving to these places a, where parts of the a, crime were dropped, committed? Dropped Morgan off at the carousel mall at her job, took Maddox down to Cortland, uh, had the fire pit set up, and uh, just didn't do it. But did it the next day? But did it Do you know how, day, how day, between day, the dry run and, and when the crimes were committed? 24 hours. 24, 24 hours, hours later. Which, which actually turned out to be a positive development for us because it really makes it difficult to, to claim you didn't know what you were doing when you went through a dry run. On February 20th, 2016, 
Ryan Lawrence took Maddox with him as he did the early morning pastry deliveries to a chain of espresso shops around Syracuse. The chain's owner, Anna Dobbs, said that he would never leave her in the car. He would always carry her into the store in one arm with boxes of pastries in the other. The couple shared one vehicle, so that afternoon, Lawrence dropped his wife Morgan off at work. She worked at a clothing store in the local mall, and he was supposed to return to pick her up around 10 o'clock p.m. When Morgan got off work, she went outside and found the family car parked in the parking lot with the keys inside. The confused mother went home where she found a note and an eight-minute video where Lawrence said he had taken Maddox and that he was thinking about killing himself and their daughter. Morgan called police to report her husband and daughter missing. The following morning, the police issued an Amber Alert and held a press conference where Morgan went on television to beg for her daughter to be returned. Please just bring Maddox home. Maddox, I love you, honey. Um, Ryan, please, just please call. We just want to know that the both of you are safe. Um, the whole family loves you. The whole family wants you both home. And, um, we just want to know that you guys are in a good place. And, um, we'd love to see you both as soon as possible. Thank you, man. Uh, give me one second. I'll take some questions if you have them. Does anyone have any questions? Without any vehicle involved, and like you said, there's one car and that's been accounted for without a vehicle, where did the lead stand at this point to really have an active search? We don't know. Uh, we're looking at any lead that we do get, and that's where we're stuck right now. We're, 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 we're begging for help in this circumstance. We don't know where he is. Uh, if he is out there, we'd ask you just give us a call so we know that you guys are safe and we'll get, we'll get help, whatever help everybody needs. What nobody knew was that Maddox was dead before Lawrence even wrote the note. After he dropped Morgan off at work the previous day, he then drove Maddox out to Tinker Falls, about 15 miles south of Syracuse, which was a popular hiking spot in the spring and summer months. Out in an area of the park, he used a wooden baseball bat to strike the toddler in the head and then burn the body in a fire pit. He loaded Maddox's body into the car and drove back to Syracuse's inner harbor just down the street from where Morgan was working. He put her body in a yellow bag, tied it to a cinder block, and dropped her in the water. He then went back home where he left the video and the note before dropping the car off at the mall and walking away. On February 22nd, Lawrence went into a thrift store in Baldwinsville, about 15 miles northwest of Syracuse. The temperature had dropped into the low 20s, and he purchased a used comforter. He was wearing a hat, wig, bandana, and sunglasses, but one of the customers in the store still recognized him and called the police. Police arrived and picked up Lawrence, who gave them a fake name, which he had trouble spelling for them. At the time of his arrest, he had camping gear, a fishing pole, a mosquito net, and books about survival and how to evade capture. Investigators questioned Lawrence for hours, where he first told them that Maddox was with a couple named Chris and Tyler, then later claimed that she was with a couple named Chris and Taylor. Lawrence eventually admitted that the couple was made up. No kidding. He told the investigator, quote, You won't understand when I tell you what I did with Maddox, end quote. After being in custody for 18 hours, he eventually agreed to assist authorities in recovering Maddox's body. 
The yellow bag with the girl's body inside was pulled from the water just after noon on February 23, 2016. Syracuse Police Chief Frank Fowler held a press conference. On February the 20th at about 11.23 p.m., the Syracuse Police Department responded to a, uh, a 911 call. The caller was, uh, 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 was Morgan Lawrence. Uh, Ms. Lawrence called to, to uh, report that her, her uh, husband and her child, uh, Maddox Lawrence, was missing under suspicious circumstances. Uh, Ms. Lawrence reported to the Syracuse Police Department that her husband, uh, Ryan Lawrence, usually picks her up from her place of employment at Destiny USA at around 10 p.m. Uh, every evening. On, and on this particular night, he was scheduled to pick her up. But prior to him picking her up, she receives a phone call from him advising her that the, that the vehicle that they share with one another was in the parking lot along with the keys. And so she came out, drove the vehicle to their residence in the city of Syracuse. And when she arrived home, she expected to find her husband, uh, Ryan, and their baby Maddox there at the house, and they were not there. And she, what she did discover was a, a message that was left behind for her from her husband, uh, Ryan. And upon viewing this message, she became concerned it was at that point she reached out to the Syracuse Police Department. He explains how the incident started and how Morgan had arrived home to find a message indicating that he had taken Maddox and felt that he might hurt the baby. The Syracuse Police Department responded and uh, we also reviewed this message and we were equally concerned. This caused us to uh, issue an Amber Alert and began to uh, conduct an investigation and to uh, the, the uh, missing child, um, baby Maddox. On February the 22nd, at about 4.30 p.m., we received a, uh, a 911 call from uh, a caller who stated that they saw a person matching the description of Ryan Lawrence walking alone on Donner Street in the village of Bowensville. Uh, this person was subsequently stopped by the village of Bowensville Police Department. A uh, short time later, the Syracuse Police Department Criminal Investigation Division arrived at the scene and despite this subject wearing a disguise, was able to determine that it was indeed Ryan Lawrence that was stopped by the Bowensville Police Department. Ryan Lawrence at that point was uh, transfer, tr transported to the Criminal Investigation Division. Now, I'd like to point out here that this information that we received came from a 911 caller. This 911 caller saw the Amber Alert that you all continued to broadcast. And this, this citizen picked up the phone just, to, just as we would ask all citizens to do and to call the police department. And as a result, we were able to locate uh, Ryan Lawrence and bring him to CID. At this point, we didn't know the whereabouts of baby Maddox. He continued to explain that they issued an Amber Alert and began searching for Lawrence. The FBI was even involved in the search. They picked him up after someone called 911 to report a sighting. He takes a moment to point out that the 911 caller was able to identify Lawrence due to the Amber Alert. 
It's great to see a system like that work. Unfortunately, in this case, there was never an opportunity to find Maddox alive since she had been killed long before anyone knew she was missing. As we continue to investigate uh, and, and uh, speak with uh, Ryan and the Criminal Investigation Division, our investigation led detectives to an area uh, near the creek, creek Walk in the city of Syracuse. This location, more specifically, was uh, near the intersection of Bear and Van Rensselaer Street. At this location, the New York State Police divers entered the cold and icy water, and there they were able to locate a body that we believe is baby Maddox. Now, um, I say we believe it's baby Maddox because we obviously have to wait for um, DNA testing to determine for sure, but at this point we are unfortunately confident that it's baby Maddox. And based on our interviews, neighborhood cameras, and information that was gathered um, we were able uh, we were able to charge the father Ryan Lawrence date of birth 8 22 1991 24 years of age with murder in the second degree police were able to locate the body of baby Maddox and were awaiting DNA testing which would eventually come back with a positive ID once the body was recovered they initially charged Ryan Lawrence with second degree murder and held him without bail Due to the nature of the case and based on some of the things Lawrence said while being interrogated, he was interviewed by a psychiatrist in order to determine if he was competent to stand trial. Two psychiatrists actually determined that he did not suffer from mental illness. During the interview, he claimed that his plan was to kill Maddox, evade arrest for a while, and then kill himself. He told Dr. James Knoll that he planned to kill himself by starving, getting an infection, or succumbing to the elements. If that were the case, why did he bring a tent, mosquito net, food, fishing pole, and a guide for survival with him? All of those items only help you to not die in the wild. Noel also noted that he never told investigators that he had planned to kill himself. Once Lawrence was determined not to suffer from mental illness, and it was clear that he had willingly planned out the murder of his daughter in advance, charges against him were enhanced to first-degree murder. Lawrence agreed to plead guilty to the crime and waive his right to appeal in exchange for a life sentence with the possibility of parole after 25 years. It's alleged that you, Ryan Lawrence, being over 18 years of age, being over 18 years old, on or about the 20th day of February 2016, committed kidnapping in the first degree, and that in the course of an in furtherance, of such crime, you intentionally caused the death of 22-month-old Maddox Lawrence. To wit, it is more specifically alleged that after abducting Maddox, Maddox Lawrence from Mondog County, the defendant unlawfully brought her to a remote and secluded location in Cortland County and intentionally struck Maddox, Maddox Lawrence in the head with a wooden baseball bat resulting in blunt force trauma that caused her death. That you then placed her body and the baseball bat in a prepared fire pit for hours. 
Afterwards, the defendant took Maddox Lawrence's charred remains, consisting of her head, torso, and parts of her leg, to place them in a container, and transported them back to Onondaga County, tied the remains to a cement block, and disposed of those remains in Onondaga Creek. Are all of those allegations true? Yes, sir. How do you plead that the charge of murder in the first degree in violation of Penal Law 125.27, Subdivision 1A7, Subparagraph B? How do you plead? The sentence of first degree murder should have been life without the possibility of parole, but the plea agreement put that option back on the table, which would be seen by anyone on the parole board in 25 years, starting with the judge. Mr. Lawrence. Based upon the totality of the facts and circumstances of this case, it's my opinion you deserve to spend the rest of your life in prison for what you have done. While I may not be around in 25 years from now, if I am, I will be asked for my opinion. And I will give it in terms of your parole. However, if I'm not, my words are in this record and my expressed opinions regarding the punishment will live on. It is the sentence and judgment of this court that based upon your plea of guilty to murder in the first degree is charged in the first count of this indictment that you be sentenced to the maximum sentence of life imprisonment with a minimum of 25 years. Relative to your plea of guilty to murder in the second degree is charged in the third count of this indictment. It is the sentence and judgment of this court to receive the maximum sentence of life imprisonment with a minimum of 25 years. By law, these sentences uh, must run concurrently with each other. He makes it clear that his opinion that Lawrence should spend the rest of his life in prison is recorded in the case file so that, even if he's no longer alive, the parole board can use his opinion when they decide if he should get parole. Morgan Lawrence was also there to make an impact statement and warn the future parole board. As a result of Brian's actions, I, I need for him to spend the rest of his lifetime in prison. I fear for my safety, and I fear for the safety of others who back into the community. He's deceived everyone in his life with ease. And he's betrayed all of us with his actions. He's charismatic and believable when he wants to manipulate a situation in his favor. Before a parole board, parole board in 25 years from now, he may seem remorseful, he may beg and plead to be released, he may claim to be changed. Please don't be fooled. He's a monster. And I truly do believe he'll kill again if given the chance. Don't give him that chance. This is the most horrible thing I've ever endured in my life. But I want you to know, you will not drag me down. I will rise above this and honor my daughter with my own life. You took Maddox's only chance at life, Ryan. Therefore, you don't deserve another chance at your own. Then, 
most likely because he's a horribly selfish person who has never taken full responsibility for killing his daughter, Ryan Lawrence makes a statement. It's incredibly hard to talk about this for many reasons, and even harder to find the words to explain such a horrible crime. It's with all of my heart that I convey my sincerest apology to everyone for taking Maddox from her family and everyone who loved her. I'm also utterly sorry for denying Maddox her chance at life. I can't expect your forgiveness, but I tell you now that the sorrow I feel for what I've done is complete and comes from the deepest depths of my being. This sorrow I feel has nothing nothing to do with being in jail, but for the pain, for the loss of Maddox. At the beginning of his statement, he apologizes for what he's done, but then describes his own sorrow and how much pain he feels. To Morgan and all of those who loved her, I hope that from my plea and acceptance and responsibility, you can find at least some measure of closure from the pain I inflicted. This was, and is, without question, the worst act I will ever commit. I recognize that no one but myself can be blamed for this atrocity, and I will always be traumatized knowing I'm responsible for such incomprehensible actions. Although I accept this punishment, nothing can be worse. Nothing can be worse than my own despair at the loss of Maddox, and I regret that I'm not alone in that feeling. I love my daughter with all my heart. <laughs> the only thing that can match my love and loss of her now is the dreadful pain and remorse I feel for committing such a terribly terrible crime. I'm sorry. I know I can never be sorry enough. Again, he apologizes and says he is to blame for the atrocity, then goes right back to how horrible it is for him, how hard it will be for him to live with what he's done. After Lawrence is sentenced, he agreed to do an interview with a reporter from Syracuse.com. The interview lasted for two hours, but like his interrogation and the interviews he did with psychiatrists, it was a mishmash of contradicting stories that ended with no answers. In this interview, he has completely talked himself out of any responsibility of the murder. I'm not, I'm not this monster that people try to portray me to be on the media. What I did was horrible. What I did was wrong. What I did was unfair. What I did was illegal. Yeah. And evil and... But it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Who was it? It was this storm. It was this madness that was taking over. You could just be evil? Does that come to your mind that this is... I don't think so because what I was trying to do was not evil. I wasn't trying to hurt anybody. I was trying to save Max. I was trying to save my wife. I was trying to save my family from from hurting, from struggling. In the most selfish act I've ever done, I thought, irrationally, that it was going to be the most selfless thing I would ever do. And you realize how crazy that sounds. I mean, you yes. Know you do. He says that what he did was horrible, wrong, unfair, 
illegal, and evil, but it wasn't him. It was a madness, even though two psychologists determined him not to suffer from mental illness, even though he planned the murder out at least 24 hours in advance and did everything he could to not get caught, it was a madness that was taking over. You were trying to save your family by bludgeoning your daughter to death with a baseball bat and burning her body? I'm sorry, Ryan Lawrence, but you are a monster, and you don't get to determine whether or not you are one. You gave that up when you did the very thing that made you a monster. Obviously, most people want him to spend the rest of his life in prison and don't want him to ever be granted parole. Once he is eligible, he can apply, and then those people who don't want him released will have to go to his parole hearing and express their opinion as to why he shouldn't be released. The reporter asks him if he would ever consider vowing to never apply for parole. Would you say you'd do anything to make the grief you caused Morgan and the rest of the family go away? I would do anything to take their pain away. I never intended to put them in this. Would you go as far as to say, I vow to never put, go up for parole? If that's what, something they would, they, they would be glad, that would make them at least feel a little better. I mean, you could do that. Yeah, I guess I could. But I, um... I don't know, I just feel so bad. I feel bad for them, and I feel bad for my family also. My dad and my sisters, they want to see me get out. I don't think I'll ever heal from this. But you wouldn't be willing to go that far. I guess not. Not surprisingly, he's not willing to commit to that. I'd also like to point out his comment about himself not being able to heal from this. Everything always turns back into how bad the situation is for him. He specifically says that his dad and his sisters would like him to get out. He also has a brother, Rich, who has completely cut ties with him and is one of the people who made an impact statement during sentencing to be included in his record for any future parole review. His mother passed away in 2008 of kidney cancer. I'm not alone. I have my family. But being in this cell with nothing but my thoughts is tormenting. So, I mean, I can't close my eyes. I can't sleep. Uh, just having to, having to, um, to live this life that I've created for myself is hell. Hell exists. It's real. I know that. And I've created it for myself. You don't have to die. I still wake up hearing her voice. I still, I still, every time I close my eyes, I see her and what I've done. I have to live every day without her. He continues to talk about how bad things are for him. Quote, I can't close my eyes. I can't sleep. End quote. Like poor Ryan, he murdered his own daughter and now he's suffering with the consequences. He claims that he's living in hell, which is interesting because he says the complete opposite when his sister, Shaylin, visited him in jail on March 22nd. During that visit, which was captured on video, Lawrence told Shaylin, quote, I found peace. I have peace, end quote. The psychiatrist who was hired by the defense, Dr. Gary Horowitz, watched the recording of the visit and said at one point, Lawrence told his sister, quote, Before I was free on the outside, but now I'm free on the inside, end quote. 
That doesn't sound like someone who will never heal from this. Ryan Lawrence will be eligible for parole in 2041. I believe many people will fight to ensure he is not granted parole. If he continues to make excuses for his own actions, it won't look good to the parole board. I don't think his chances of being granted parole will be great, at least not the first few times he applies. Thank you for listening to Monsters. For more stories of the worst people on the planet, you can visit our blog at thisismonsters.com. <laughs>